Hi everyone, welcome back to the Wheelie Stagey podcast. Kerry here, your host as always. I hope everyone's keeping us safe and as well as possible in these strange times. I'm thrilled to be back so soon with another episode, so soon after the last one. And those of you who did listen to episode three will remember two things. First, I talked about Falling Stars, starring an old favourite of mine, Peter Polycarpu, and a new favourite of mine, Sally Ann Triplett. I've discovered that, along with my dear friend Stephen's play, Little Wars, Falling Stars will be available to stream from next month, the 1st of February, until the 14th of February, so Valentine's Day. Head to www.stream.theatre/home to book and enjoy some wonderful music performed by two amazingly talented folks. Um, seriously, folks, you won't regret it. It's just a lovely, lovely little bit of escapism, um, which I think is what we all need right now. And make sure you get your tickets for Little Wars while you're there. You'll also remember... <clears throat> excuse me, that I promised we were heading to LA and Neverland this time. So let's get going. I want to kick off the theatrical talk for this episode talking about Lester Curve's production of Sunset Boulevard, currently available to stream via their website. Now, you'll notice if you go on the website that it's billed as a concert production, but as I hope comes across uh, here in the next few minutes, um, it's actually so much more than that. Before I go on to talk about specifics, just want to give you a little bit of background about this show. Um, you'll remember if you've listened to my first uh, solo outing, so my After the Interval episode, where I talk about um, going to Jesus Christ Superstar for the summer, that I'm on record here and over on my blog stating my claim to Jesus Christ Superstar being my favourite Andrew Lloyd Webber score. I am prepared to live and die on that hill, but I must admit that the more I come to know um, the show Sunset Boulevard and, and the music and about these characters and what makes them tick, um, I must admit that Sunset Boulevard is a very close second. Now, I originally saw this production back in 2018, when it came a touring to my local theatre, the Bristol Hippodrome, I actually had my press hat on that night and I was there reviewing for Broadway World and along with one other production that I've seen in Bath, it remains to this day one of only two productions that I've given a five-star perfect uh, review to. So I was really excited to hear that they were bringing it back 
in this new and offensive way. I'm pleased to report that I fell in love with the show all over again. Some of you will know that it's based on a film from 1950 of the same name, um, directed by uh, Billy Wilder and starring the incredible Gloria Swanson. And Sunset Boulevard follows a faded um, film star, faded silent film star Norma Desmond, um, who inadvertently crosses paths with a young, suave, sophisticated um, screenwriter, and she sees him as her ticket to return to Hollywood and make a comeback. And things all get a bit dark and dramatic from there going onwards. So, having recently transformed their two spaces into one to allow for appropriate social distancing, before, of course, as it always has, the pandemic scuppered theatre's reopening plans for a second time, what this new um, sort of vision for the production offers was a unique opportunity to be inventive in the design and how it's presented. And Colin Richmond's vision, and indeed that of the entire creative team, I should say, meets that challenge head on. Um, You'll notice that every inch of that theatre is played with. The stage itself has got a revolve, there's scenes up in the lighting rig, um, characters make their entrances and exits from the stalls and grand circle and so on and so forth and it's really pl- I found that really playful and it kind of gave the themes and what the show is exploring the kind of idea of Hollywood and what goes on in front of the camera as well as behind it um, it made me look at that in a new way and was all the more poignant for it. The whole thing feels really filmic in scope and there's real energy and excitement from the way the team at Crosscut Media have captured proceedings and thanks to Douglas O'Connell's video and projection design. As someone who doesn't always get as close a vantage point as I'd like in a good majority of theatres, I love the opportunity that um to be able to, that you kind of got from seeing this show play out in front of the camera rather than towards an audience. There's you notice things in greater detail and there's more sort of nuances in the performance and so on. And for me the whole thing felt like a wonderful hybrid um, between theatre and film and I'd love to see more of that ambitious combining of the two going forward Um, because this has set the bar incredibly high and made me feel really excited about the potential that marrying these two genres together can bring out and you'll be pleased to hear that even though the auditorium is empty and that is quite bittersweet um, given the state of the industry. Um, there is a 16-piece orchestra under supervision from Stephen Brooker and they sound sublime and Ben Cracknell's lighting um, 
Then you've got red, blues and warm golds are really evocative. And I cannot stress how vividly this production made me feel everything I would have felt had I been sitting there. Just from sitting behind, uh, behind, in front of my laptop, should I say. It was like I was there and it was incredible. Director Nikolai Foster showcases again, once again, why he's one of my favourite directors. I have some incredible memories of other productions at Curve, more on those later on. But I think what makes his vision for Sunset Boulevard so wonderful was the what makes the scene powerful is sometimes the subtles, the subtlety in it. And there's, I got a real sense of their wanting to be kind of stillness and for the drama to kind of have a slower burn to it. And again, I think that comes down to playing to the camera rather than a live audience. And that sort of really interested me because having seen this show before and thinking I knew it, it... Um, I took so many new things away and found new depth and new nuances to enjoy. And it's a testament to, to an incredibly talented ensemble cast who bring a really polishing to the whole proceedings. It's incredibly easy to forget that they're all working socially distanced. And they bring such energy and ease into that performance space that I particularly loved the scene. I think it's called, I think the song is called, um, The Ladies Paying when Norma takes Joe to buy a suit for a ball that she's, for a gala ball that she's hosting. Um, the choreography is great and I just loved um, their energy and their enthusiasm and uh, the way they kind of put everything into it even though that they're kind of essentially in that space on their own not being able to receive energy from us as the audience but they were um, all very talented and it just felt really slick and polished and tight and uh, it's fantastic. Um, having, and I've got to say, having seen this, well, most of this cast originally, um, it was just a, a real pleasure to see them again and see them revisit a show that everybody's got so much love for and that they understand really well. I think that comes across. So having seen... When I, when I saw the show originally, I had um, Dougie Carter play the role of Joe Gillis. Um, Danny Mack uh, didn't do the Bristol leg of the tour. So, um, and Dougie usually plays Artie, which he does here, and he's adorable as Artie Green. Um, so, just from that standpoint alone, I was really excited to finally be able to see Danny in the role. He's 
incredibly suave and charismatic and I vividly remember feeling rather kind of conflicted about how I was supposed how I was supposed to feel about Joe throughout the whole show more so than the first time around and that fascinated me I I remember seeing it in person I was just completely besotted with uh, Dougie's take on Joe he was very sweet and endearing and there was something quite vulnerable about him that made him quite likeable whereas um for me Danny's um take on the role was a lot more sort of ambiguous and I didn't really know what he was think what he was really thinking um and you know I wasn't sure whether I liked him all that much throughout some parts but for me that's the that sort of dynamic made it more interesting and it just excited me immensely and having known Danny for um more for his television rather than his stage work I was just intrigued to finally have the chance to hear him sing and I was suitably impressed um Sunset Boulevard in particular obviously the um title number was one of many um highlights and I hope to be able to get to see him perform again in future I know he's done um White Christmas which alas I didn't get to see when it ran at the Dominion um but yeah he he has a sort of presence and charisma about him that's really sort of engaging and I loved the chemistry he had with Molly Lynch who played a rather sweet and sassy Betty Schaefer now I don't know if it's just me but having watched the film uh, I find that Molly takes Betty to a lot more sort of interesting places um, than than um she's kind of afforded in the film i think she, um molly does brings a lot more sort of energy and sort of uh more depth to the character and she's really 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 um she's got a really really beautiful voice and um i was just struck by her and she's another face i'd like to see more of and i'm hoping to actually because um, hopefully I'll be watching the uh, the um, Southwark Playhouse production of the last five years very soon. So look out, look out for that episode on a future um, on a future instalment of the podcast. So, as well as Danny and Molly, we have Adam Pierce, who stars as Max, and indeed. As he was when I saw this show live in person, he is on absolutely mesmerising form as Max, who is Norma's devoted butler and does his best to shield her from some rather devastating truths when it all gets a little bit dark and twisty. Now, I've had the pleasure of seeing Adam in Les Mis over the years and again more recently in the new musical adaptation of The Prince of Egypt 
And I must say that his vocal has always astonished me, not only for the range that he has, like he has a really rich, beautiful voice, and I'm always bowled over by how much it moves me and I, and gives me lovely, lovely goosebumps. And I once again had that in spades here, um, particularly during Adam's number, um, The Greatest Star of All. Max, as a character, is rather imposing and sort of uh, a little bit, uh, what's the word? Yeah, he cuts a really kind of imposing, um, formidable figure. But what struck me was the way that Adam kind of is able to balance this um, with really uh, great warmth and sensitivity that really makes the emotional reveals towards the end of the piece all the more hard-hitting. Anchoring it all, though, we have Rhea Jones starring as Norma Desmond. Now, this role will always be special to me where Rhea is concerned because it's the first one that I saw her play. And after that, I followed up with seeing her as Rose in Gypsy, no less. So it's safe to say that Rhea has cemented her reputation in my theatre-going world for playing formidable, beautifully complex women. And with that... Long may she reign, as the depth she manages to bring to Norma never fails to take my breath away. Her body language and her eyes are so expressive, even in the most minute of details. Sometimes she has just got to do something as simple as like raise an eyebrow or tilt her head. Um, and that totally shifts the power um, or the tone in a scene, and I was constantly drawn to her and wonder, wondering how Norma would react to things that were going on around her or what other characters were saying. Um, and being able to be kept on my toes like that, I find it really, really fun. It's thrilling. And what I loved even more was I got the sense that Rhea loves and understands this role so well. Having originated it in the 1991 Sidmonton Festival workshop, and that's all for me as an audience member, for me, that is just such a delight to feel. And I loved being able to feel that all over again, having seen her perform the role in person and kind of revisit it again here. Her vocal remains as effortless and as powerful and as moving as it did when I first heard it back in 2018. And yes, there were many a round of applause from my dining room table. And um, I think as well a few tears were shed. And not just for Rhea, but for everybody, I was kind of sitting... Come the end, I was sitting at my laptop applauding till my hands were sore. That was how much it meant and how powerful it was and how it moved me. And I'm so grateful to the cast and creative team at The Curve for the whole experience at a time that's been so horrendously difficult for them as artists and for us as audience members 
who love and are missing what they do. And as some shows do, they just manage to find their way into your heart, even though they might have been away for a while, like this one has. Um, but I've got to say, Sunset Boulevard has now found its way into my heart, thanks to this phenomenal group of people. And I'm perfectly content for it to stay there. Um, the stream was actually um, only only due to run until the 9th of January, but has now been extended till this Sunday. So um, the 17th of January, due to phenomenal demand. Please, folks, I know we're cutting it a bit fine here because at time of recording, it's Thursday the 14th of January. But please, if you can, grab yourself a ticket. I promise you won't regret it. Just go to www.curveonline.co.uk and please when you've watched it do let me know get in touch with me over on Facebook Twitter and Instagram just search for really stagey because I would love to know what you think and more importantly have somebody to gush over this show and its incredible cast with well LA's certainly been wonderful but now Shall we head off to Neverland? I started our last episode on a bit of a low note talking about two events I missed due to tier restrictions. But there was a lovely spark of light just before Christmas when Bristol and Sirencester were, at least for the afternoon in question, the rules changed again come that evening. They were in Tier 2, so myself and my PA, Sammy, travelled for my very first, and long overdue, I must say, trip to the Barn Theatre in Sirencester to see a very special one-man version of J.M. Barry's beloved classic, Peter Pan. Now, I won't lie to you, dear listeners, my first knee-jerk reaction to this production was, shall we say, intrigued confusion. I was like, a one-man version of Peter Pan? What? How? And so forth. But over the course of just an hour, Alan Pollock's new adaptation joyfully reimagines the story as a father across the country on business and holed up in in a hotel is begged by his daughter. We've got a charming voiceover by a young actress called um, Georgia Dibbs, who, even though we didn't see her on stage, her presence was really sweet and endearing, and I could so vividly... She was so easily and vividly able to conjure up the whole sort of... You know, the innocence and... Um, sort of joy that comes from, you know, the father-daughter bond. Um, for, so she's begging her dad for her favourite bedtime story. There's everything you've come to know and expect from um, Peter Pan, but it also packed an unexpected emotional punch that surprised 
surprised and moved me deeply as we learned the reason behind the father and daughter's connection for and uh, connection with and love for this story. I kid you not, um, it's just kind of towards the end there was a, there was a moment where I sobbed, tears were shed and I don't usually do that um, when it comes to Peter Pan but just the way that this was handled and the way it was reimagined it was really really um, really really beautiful and touching but before I go on a little bit more about specifics I just wanted to um, it being my first visit and all I just wanted to share a little love um, for the barn the barn theatre so it was established as a charity by Ian and Chrissy Carlin with the vision of building a bold legacy in the arts for the community of Simon Sester and the Cotswolds. And they began construction in 2014, finished in 2017, and opened their first professional production to great critical acclaim in March 2018. Now, those of you who know me will know that I have a real soft spot and love seeing plays and indeed musicals or just theatre in general, but particularly plays in really small, intimate settings. I just think it heightens everything. And... They've done that so beautifully here. I mean, the um, the the actual building was built in the nineteen forties as a Nissan hut, and has been transformed into a really intimate, lovely, um, state of the art auditorium for I think it seats two hundred, um, and it's got an orchestra pit, um, and it's uh. I believe that their statement says their audiences will experience entertainment that competes with the West End. Never mind the competing, I think the standard is just just as high as on the West End. I don't think there's any need to compete with it at all because this production and what they've managed to do um, is astonishing and set the bar really high I'd love to go back um now that I've seen like the standard here with Peter Pan and experience more theatre there I really hope I get the chance to the staff are lovely and just the whole experience just from start to finish was a real joy but I digress let's go back a little bit um as I was saying it's an intimate 200 seat space and I think that sense of intimacy lends itself to the vision of this, uh, the vision for this version of the story absolutely beautifully. We've got really playful and Im- imaginative set design from Gregor Donnelly that um, manages to transport us to Neverland with real um, simple ingenuity. I mean, Beds became pirate ships, um, teddies were the darling brothers, an umbrella became the famous hook, um, and the way they reimagined Tinkerbell was really fun too. And couple that with Joe Price's atmospheric 
Alex Design and some incredible projections from Benjamin Collins that encompass pirates, Amazons and even a crocodile. Of course, you can't have Peter Pan without a crocodile. Um, the whole thing felt really slick and brimming with imagination. And I think also a kind of love for the creative process. Um, it reminded me that you don't always need massive set pieces and um, sort of you don't need to go big and bold all the time for a production to be effective. Sometimes less is more and simple is really beautiful. And I love that it encouraged us to use our imaginations in that way for some things. Um, because the design was so sh stripped back, I, myself, um, as an audience member, I l love being encouraged to do that and don't always like having everything laid out for me. <clears throat> so we had Waylon Jacobs starring, it being a one-man version of the show, and... I say this as somebody who knows Waylon from his work in musical theatre, um, but he is an absolute, or was an absolute delight from start to end, I should say. Um, and knowing him from his musical theatre work, he, he'll always be my first gator in Memphis followed by my beloved first King George and twice beloved Aaron Burr, sir, in Hamilton. So I love just being able to see him tackle a play. And I loved the energy and the physicality he brought to each character. Um, and the fact that it's only an hour long, the direction from Kirk Jameson keeps things clipping along nicely. And I really, what I really loved was seeing Wayman's portrayal kind of grow and develop. Um, as the father became more invested in the story, you kind of got the sense that this is more than a bedtime story. This kind of became something bigger for him um, and that just really struck a chord with me uh, and that emotional the emotional dynamic that came with that kept me engaged and kind of wondering where he was going to take and what he was going to do next and that was that was really a delight to watch we had um, the movement direction from Tosh Wanoko Maud added another striking layer to Wayland's performance like he started on the bed. Um, but as he kind of grew in confidence and kind of got into the storytelling, he'd be running around the stage at all corners, climbing on things. And just the energy he brought to it was really infectious. And Nick Bar, there was a beautiful, beautiful score from Nick Barstow, which managed to bring the two worlds, sort of real and imaginary, in Neverland, into sharper focus. Like there was a real sort of difference in sort of soundscape and the mood 
depending on where we were. Um, and that was that just made the whole thing um, more emotional as well. And just another point, I'm just in awe of how Waylon was able to play every single character and like just memorize all those lines like i i don't have much experience of um single per like um one hundred so to speak i've seen a lot of i'm seeing a lot more sort of two-handed plays but um one man plays and things like that i don't have much experience of so this one was for me a great way a great way into it so to speak because it was a story I knew quite well to begin with, but just reimagined in a really kind of striking, inventive way. Um, and I'd, I'd love to see more of it, see more plays, uh, one man sort of plays in future, and sort of challenge myself um, with maybe things that I don't, uh, sort of things that are new to me, as well and as I said before my uh, Peter Pan was my first experience of a barn production and the whole th- the most endearing feeling that I took away from the day was that I hope that 2021 will bring me even more experiences of the work they do um, in whatever form that takes whether eventually I'll be able to go in person or whether for the time being it'll be more online stuff. Um, I don't mind either way um, because their creativity excited me immensely and reminded me that sometimes the most intimate productions have the biggest heart and soul. Now, at the end of our last episode, I spoke about how excited I was about the future of the podcast. And with that in mind, dear listeners, I'd like your help. Because I've been thinking about merchandise and wheelie stagey podcasts, mugs, pen, badges, all sorts. And I wanted to put some feelers out there with you, my audience, and see if there's any interest out there if anybody would like to get some some their hands on some merch um and if there is what you'd like um hit me with some suggestions over on socials again i'll say you can find me on twitter instagram and facebook just search for wheelie stagey look for the podcast artwork on facebook and twitter and there's a picture of my lovely self on my Instagram. Yeah, hit me up with what you'd like. I'm personally thinking mugs, maybe tote bags and some pens. Um, but I'd, l- I'd love to hear from you guys if there's any kind of appetite for that kind of thing. And uh, what you'd like. And, you know, just kind of spread the word a little bit more and get the um, kind of continue sort of building the fan base and uh, crack on with the conquering the podcast world but let's not run before we can walk I know but baby steps baby steps and I thought merch 
would be a fun way of kind of collecting with you guys and giving giving back as well and because because I really appreciate um the lovely comments I get and the fact that everybody's listening. So yeah, if you'd like some merch, let me know. Hope to hear from you soon. LA to Neverland, what a trip. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, folks. Um, see you next time. I'm ho- as I think I said earlier on, I'm hoping to watch the Southwark Playhouse production of the last five years very soon. So that'll probably be um, the focus of the next episode. Um, until that time, look after yourselves and each other, and I'll see you again soon. Bye. Thank you.